Portions of the following episode were recorded after the coronavirus pandemic started, but before the murder of George Floyd and related protests. We know these events have had and will continue to have tremendous impact on our lives and our community, and of course, the work of artists. We assert that Black Lives Matter and will be working on content that deal with such topics. As always, we'd love to hear more about what you'd like to hear from us. Stay tuned for ways to reach out to us at the end of the show. Welcome to the Relief Podcast from the Akron Art Museum. Comfort and joy for these uncertain times. I'm Seema Rao, Deputy Director and Chief Experience Officer. Hi everyone, I'm Gina Thomas-McGee, Curator of Education. So today's topic is um, motivation. And I was thinking, uh, Gina, if we had recorded this podcast uh, on February 4th, 2020, what do you think we might talk about? Oh my goodness. We'd probably talk a lot about the future, maybe. Um, Especially because February, it's like, you know, you're looking at the end of winter, starting to plan spring and summer programming. Um, So you probably talk about, you know, how many people you want to engage and like, you know, what your your motivation is like bigger and better than ever. At least for me, that's what it would be. And I'd be like, these are the to-do lists. Yes. And I was also, th- you also said how many people, I feel like both you and I um, are data obsessed and not, we're not, we're, we're data informed. So we're not making our decisions based, just based on data, but we love like numbers and thinking about it and prognosticating and all of those sorts of things. And I was thinking about it as I was getting ready uh, to talk to you about this podcast. And I was thinking, it's funny. I don't feel like either you or I have really spent any time on data since we've been home. We've been talking a lot about feelings. Absolutely. And we've just been talking about like, what is the next best step? Like, like, what can we use our experience to inform us? And like, how does it feel? What feels right? Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. That's how I've yeah. been approaching Motiv- it. Motivation for next step is exactly right. Not in that, that I think is part of it for me that motivation used to be about being so incredibly exemplary and so far in the future. And you know, so big and now motivation is that I, we, that we did this today. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. The motivation is like, okay, today I'm going to do the best I can given what I have. Like, that's my motivation. That, that's actually, if I was going to take one thing out of this, this whole terrible um, period in humanity, I would probably take that, that we are people who just, we don't need to be, um, as huge we could be a little bit smaller a little bit more real yeah I think that's true and that's been kind of like a slow burn in my life for the last five years maybe is like quality over quantity and it's definitely impacted my work at the museum like I don't know I just think more and more about like what can we do that's like deep but not necessarily wide you know I want to engage as many people as possible and and accessibility is super important to me but I want it to be really meaningful so it's almost like a kind of minimalist approach and that's definitely in my home as well like I love getting things down to like the bare necessities within reason but yeah in terms of motivation it's like okay what what feels right what is the best thing we can do not like let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks 
I wonder if motivation, now that we have more time, I find, uh, or different amounts of time, I guess I it is more in that I don't drive an hour, for example, every day. I have those time, that time, but then I'm worrying all the time. So I do think our time has changed. And so motivation comes in very small spurts for me, which might be okay. That maybe the decrease in motivation distills that motivation. Yes. I think you have to sort of harness it when it comes, but also you just have to show up, right? Even if you're not feeling motivated. And the more I've talked to artists, so I don't really identify as an artist myself, like I don't work in a studio or anything, but the more I've talked to artists, like there's this kind of mystical feeling about artists like they this burst of inspiration and they just go in the studio and create and every time I talk to an artist it's like no sometimes it's a slog sometimes there's no motivation and you just show up and do one thing you know what I mean whether it's just cleaning the studio you just show up and try to make it happen and I think that's definitely applying to my life now like expectations are pretty minimal I'm but I'm showing up every day <laughs> you know, I'm here. Um, so that's something artists have taught me actually that, you know, you just got to do the thing. We have all these projects uh, we work, we're working on, which we'll, we'll have to wait to talk about um, because we're still sort of in process, but I've been calling all these artists and you know this too, that um, to get ready for all these projects. And one of the things, one of the artists, uh, one of our regional artists said to me is that so what she loves about social isolation is that everybody is seeing what her life is like, because we are all like so many artists, I think, many artists, many jobbing artists, many working artists have their studio in their home. And so they're social isolating with their studio. Um, so basically their life, she was like, my life hasn't changed. Like, wow, <laughs> I do this every day. I, you guys are getting to see what it's like to be a working artist, um, where sometimes it's really hard to have that motivation, but you still have to be there in the studio. Um, and I, I find it fascinating. Another uh, regional artist who was talking about this, she was saying, you know, now we only have the internet um, and nature. <laughs> and I was laughing and she was saying, because, you know, social isolating is basically my practice. I just work, 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 and then sometimes go to nature or sometimes go to the internet. So you guys are kind of experiencing my regular life. Um, and funny. I find that's so fascinating. Like, wow, it's true. Like we're, and so many people are losing it about motivation, but it's exactly what you said. These people were like, you got to show up. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is why as a, an extreme extrovert, I had to quit my MFA program because I was like, you know, I went for an MFA in like 2D, you know, painting and printmaking. And I was like, oh, this just means I'm alone in a studio for hours on end. Like I cannot do this. Um, it's just like not my thing. So I, I think it's really inspiring for people who can stay motivated when they're not like these external things, like when you don't have external deadlines or external expectations, at least not in the way that we're used to. That's really impressive to be, be able to produce. It is like, and actually I also dropped out of one for medical illustration because the, the, they were like, oh, are you really sure this is fits your personality? <laughs> Would you like to be inside and not talk to anybody but dinosaur bones? And I was like, well, no, not really. Yeah, um, no, you're right, you, you know me so well. Does it show? Uh, yeah, it's really, it's fascinating. But then, you know, artist process to me is also so, there's so many artists who work in so many different ways. Um, and all we have are these sort of small documents. Uh, I'm about to turn it over to our colleague Reggie, who's going to talk about Micheline Thomas. And I love Micheline Thomas, and I love our. Yes. Um, I was, you know, 
just uh, luckily, because I'm an essential personnel, I happen to just be in the galleries. We're not open yet uh, to the public, but I had to go in to do some, just to do some checks on things. And um, I was looking at the, uh, our Micheline Thomas, and I, you know, when we're in the galleries, very often we're teaching or we're talking to patrons or visitors or donors or something. And we're more focused on the humans that are with us than the collection because we spend so much time with the collection, you know, digitally and right. over time with books. And I was looking at how high the relief is in the shadow parts of um, the, the painting so that they use, um, they, they use rhinestones, for example, to make the relief parts. Uh, to give you a sense of depth in the shadows. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, that takes a lot of time. I, I usually look at the story and the feelings of these girlfriends who look clearly like they're connected to each other. And this time today, because we were talking about motivation and uh, Micheline Thomas, that there, there's a lot of time that is shown. You can never tell what amount of time goes into the artwork, maybe is a good way to say it. Or right. that self-motivation. You don't, you can't see on the surface. Um, people always say, like, my kid could do that. But, like, you can't. That's not true. No, and that's, I mean, I hopefully, we're three episodes in. Hopefully I haven't talked about this already. But what I always tell visitors when they, they're asking about time and how long something took and the motivation, I was like, Every artwork took that artist's whole life to make it. Because every time you make something, you're learning, you learn a new process, you learn more about yourself. So every single artwork you make took your entire life, really. You know, like Micheline Thomas, she's developing her, pract her practice and her process over years and years. Every time she makes something, it reveals something more. What I love about that piece too, what's great for our listeners is that the museum also owns her preliminary sketch of the um, the finished work, but it's not a sketch, it's a collage, which is so cool. And we own that as well. So um, you can find that on the website. The opportunity to see that process and to sort of like strip back that veil a little is really cool. So I will stop describing it and um, send it over to our deep dive uh, with Reggie. Welcome to this week's Deep Dive. I'm Reggie Lynch, Curator of Community Engagement, and this week we're talking about Micheline Thomas's monumental work, Girlfriends and Lovers. This week's theme, motivation, can often be very personal for artists. Micheline Thomas has said that much of her motivation springs from trying to capture her own fashion model mother's charisma and effervescence. Thomas says that her mother was glamorous and self-assured, and that she strives to celebrate this beauty in her own work. She often refers to work by artists like Manet and Angre as iconic, but lacking in their narrow view of female beauty, which focused almost exclusively on white women. Thomas has said that she wants images of black women to be held in the same iconic light, and she creates her work as a way to balance the scales. Thomas also uses her practice to elevate the popular culture and fashion that her mother exposed her to as a child. Girlfriends and Lovers, for example, is actually a recreated version of a Pointer Sisters album cover, which was an album she listened to growing up. In Micheline's version of the album cover, these fashionistas are completely bedazzled with rhinestones, recalling the glamorous clothes that her mother wore. All of these personal references are set against a background of art historical illusions like African textiles, parquet floors, and black and white tiles reminiscent of 17th century Dutch households. What's more, she's created this work on a giant scale, much like the greats like Rembrandt and Picasso. 
In short, this painting is a testament to her own motivations to immortalize her and her mother's stories. Thanks for joining this week's Deep Dive. Hope to see you back soon for another close look at our collection. Reggie did a great job on that one. I just, it's such a wonderful work, though. I know I shouldn't say this, but I wish we were open. That is a work. That, the one hardest thing about me, for me about living in this digital world is that so many of the tangible things are, they're all the same, right? Like if you looked in our online database at the Michelin Thomas, which is enormous yeah. and shiny and beautiful, it is the same size as something that is tiny. Right, like a thumbnail is a thumbnail is a thumbnail. Yes. And that one you just have to see in person. It's so, yeah, the texture, the surface is so rich and so varied. Like, oh, I mean, I want to touch it really badly. We would never, of course, but it's full of rhinestones and resin. And like some of the resin is like almost poured on. You you look it up. Maybe it's not resin exactly, but it's some sort of clear coating. Um, And it is just so cool. Yeah, I want to, I love to see that one in person. (laughs) But that's motivation. You know, we talked about motivation earlier, but we were talking about motivation in terms of productivity, right? Like we were talking about like the American sense of motivation on some level, right? Just making, doing work and keeping our economy and all those kinds of things. But another form of motivation that I think about a lot is the motivations to get out of this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, to what's the next thing? Um, uh, I, this morning was... Um, kind of I had to I haven't gone left the house in a very very long time and I had to pack up my um, stuff to go to work I haven't done that right so it's like a whole new thing I had to dress in clothes that um, are not pajamas and um, there was a lot to do uh, I didn't do my hair or anything but I had I had a backpack that I never use and I needed to get something to put I had to take a camera with me and so I opened it up and there are these huge shells like big big shells that I remember my kids and I found um, on the beach in New Jersey. There's a national seashore in the Mm. very northern New Jersey. And so I picked it up and I was looking at it and there was two ways to look at these shells. And it was nice because my kids and I all thought it's motivation. It is actually uh, like a carrot. It's something that's going to make us know that if we can do this, if we can stay in isolation. I mean, I will say that I went to work but alone. So I stayed socially isolated. I yes. didn't see a human. I didn't break isolation in any way. Um, I stayed safe. I'm an essential personnel at our organization. And, um, uh, but I said, to, you know, I, we were talking about vacation and we've been trying to think about this future, which you said is really hard, but at least knowing that it exists, even if you don't have to plan it, feels good. Yeah, the, because motivation could also mean something to look forward to, right? It's like what gets you through you know, the, the rough times, like something to look forward to. Okay. Like there will be this whenever it happens and, and we can look forward to that. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard right now because we don't know when exactly those things are, um, but we know that they will exist. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, that definitely helps. It's a comfort. Mm-hmm. And I hope a lot of people look forward to coming to see authentic works of art at our collection or really any museum in the country, because you can't, it's just, it is the only one. I, whenever I, you know, talk to my family, particularly who are definitely not museum people. And they say, you know, I just wish that I could have seen a Van Gogh at my museum. Why don't they have one too? Or why do you have a Michelin Thomas like that? And I don't have one. Um, 
you know, and it's so, or Warhol is another one, I think, because there's enough that people perceive there'd be enough for every museum. (laughs) Um, But it's because we're so used to having, everybody can go to Ikea and get a poster or whatever. Um, And I do hope that authenticity is one of those drivers of motivation, that people want to see things that are different and new. And I do think people, I mean, at least for myself, at the end of this, I will really, really value experience. And like, you know, because we are making memories now, we're making memories at home. And it's, for me, that's motivation for even when this is over to continue realizing that like, there's an opportunity each day to make a memory. Um, and of course, my, my children are very small. I have a baby and a preschooler. So I'm always thinking about that because this is their one childhood that they get. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly hope that people seek out these memorable things um, and hopefully come to the museum as part of that. I mean, some of my best memories are at museums, you know, from traveling or, you know, my grandma taking me to see something at the local museum when I was little. Oh, um, you know, it's interesting memory. My daughter, uh, one of my daughters has like, sort of one of those really crazy steel trap memories, you know, just crazy, crazy things. Do you remember when you said this, mommy? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, mommies don't remember the things we say. We say so many things. Yeah, um, yeah. you can never say um, I promise. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we had some we had, I ended up having to make uh, blueberry muffins this Sunday at eight because I had promised when I wake up, I would do that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what? What was what was I thinking? Like, oh, my God. Um, but, you know, so we've been talking a lot about, do you remember when we went on this vacation? Or do you remember when we went to this place? You know, all the things that we can't do right now. And I've been real struck by uh, the things that create memory and the, would never be the things you would think. You know, like you as a parent maybe planned, you know, we, we've taken a lot of huge trips. And, you know, like, for example, we went on this enormous trip down the Pacific Coast and in a, um, you know, very uh, surprising way we decided to camp which could not be any less like us and you know the things I imagined like we went to um, Mount Rainier and we went to Crater Lake and you know like we went to you know Mount Chat all these real places that I felt like would be the memory and then they were telling me about um, we went into it was really hot in uh, Mendocino and I let them have like at very early in the morning, I let them eat a lot of ice cream and we bought it from a hippie who had like uh, rainbow dreadlocks. And awesome. So, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, obviously there is a memory for you, but you know, I had spent all this time thinking about like, we're going to, we're going to camp in the like uh, Redwood National Park, which we did. Um, but that's what they remembered. And I do think that one thing that's so important about artwork actually in some ways is that it often is the image that you didn't expect it's an unexpected moment um it isn't the you know there are the works and i i do say i like to remind people that we have very very well-known works like an ansel adams with um a moon that one of our uh, curators had just had in a show that closed recently um but then we have other works that are just these amazing snapshots of things that you couldn't articulate like it's not a moment that you would think of yeah, that you would, you aren't expecting. And maybe that's why it grabs you even more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, what's funny is I get um, a lot of thank you notes from students who visit the museum. And it's so funny. I mean, we get drawings of all the artworks in the collection and, and I love to see those, but um, I do get notes fairly often by students who their favorite thing was the elevator. <laughs> right? Because it's such, it, the elevator at the museum is a very weird shape. It's like an obelisk that got like crushed or something. It's like a 
I don't know how you would even describe it. It's like a column, a square column that got crushed and crumpled. Yeah. I think um, actually obelisk that got crushed is a great. That's, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure. going to go with that from now on. Okay. If they don't listen to the podcast, I won't even credit you. It's an official um, architectural term. <laughs> but yeah, students, like, just the experience of writing in that bizarre, like, shape, and it's made of concrete. So you never know what the memory is going to be, the lasting impact. It, it's really fun to watch to see what people are kind of inspired by. And that's probably motivation for that kid. You know, when he says to his family, like, hey, can we go to the museum? I want to show you this elevator. That's his motivation. I love it. I'm all for it. It's, and you know, for an artist, you don't know where motivation's going to come from. And I look at a lot of artists' work, like we're about to throw it over to our, uh, for, to our colleague, Caitlin. And you look at this artist's work, and I mean, there's such a rich uh, vocabulary of visual imagery that is behind the artwork. And for a lot of artists, it is a lifetime. It's exactly what you said. It's accrued learning. And you draw and draw and draw and draw and draw, or you make and make and make, you photograph and photograph and photograph. And it's that kind of... Um, richness that you're drawing on every time you make something. Exactly. Yeah, the the artist that Caitlin's going to interview today, Erin Foster, it seems like really interested in dabbling in all sorts of things. I love seeing artists do that. Um, they just take something and sort of make it theirs and experiment with it. It's really, um, I don't know, it's kind of an inspiring process to me to be such a tinkerer and dabbler. So let's throw it over. Caitlin, let's hear what you have to tell us. Hey, it's Caitlin, and for today's Shop Talk, I chatted with artist and educator Aaron Foster. Aaron has exhibited widely, both nationally and internationally, and his work varies in media, from printmaking to book arts, video, and installation. His work reflects his research, observations, and reflections on physical places, and about how having shared dialogue can further drive empathy for the places and spaces that we occupy together. So sit tight and enjoy Aaron Foster's Shop Talk. Aaron, I'm so excited to have you on. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So as you know, our featured artwork this week is Micheline Thomas's Girlfriends and Lovers, which is perhaps the museum's most loved work. What are your thoughts on this piece, let alone this artist? Micheline Thomas is sort of, I mean, it's just a privilege to even be in a conversation with her, though I work in a way that's very divergent from hers. I take a lot from her um, sort of sense of exploration and sort of inventiveness. I'm really um, inspired by how uh, diverse she is with modalities and the way that she works, you know, that she's not sort of easily pigeonholed into one area. And, and the work in and of itself, I find um, really special. You know, I think it's got this sort of unique quality to it that's uh, strangely like wholesome <laughs> in, a, in a way, you know, with the the sort of patterns or sort of those kind of patterns that I think I associate with comfort or hominess or a kind of vintage quality, you know, and I think the kind of comparison that you all have on the website to the Pointer Sisters cover maybe even kind of drives that further home, you know, for me. Um, but then there's also those challenging aspects about it, right, that thinking about you know, things as just the things that are sort of inherent to her conversations about femininity and uh, marginalization sometimes and, you know, the sort of sections of those things. So I think there's much there to be praised and, you know, interested in. And I think one of the things I, I really 
um, is that sort of maximal quality, you know, that she's just sort of this sort of bring it all into the work kind of person, whereas I find myself more often than not trying to pare down, right, like to pull as much out of my work as I can to sort of focus the work. So yeah, I could speak for hours, but I think that she's just a real inspiration. I love how you both explored like the generality of the work, like when you first come into interaction with it, how it seems very just striking the scale of it, let alone these like textures and collage that she's pulling from. Then delve into those like deeper conversations that she is having about power and position. And um, yeah, I just, you said that so eloquently. (laughs) (laughs) So a big thing with Mikaleen, I think, is her motivation and drive. It's just phenomenal. When we picked this topic, I soon picked you as the artist just because your work ethic is just incredible. Taught me at Kent State in printmaking, and most nights when us students were in the studio late hours, you would be coming back from dinner with your family or the kids are going to bed and you're back at it grinding in the studio or you're back there early in the morning. Through all that, you were constantly in exhibitions and juried shows and group shows and so just tell me how you're so incredibly motivated but really like what does motivation mean to you well I think motivation's everything and I think like for everyone my motivation is a combination of like you know external things uh I want to eat or you know I want to main, re- maintain employment or you know those sorts of things and then I think there are the much more personal drives or impulses sense of pride in what you do a desire to sort of you know positively represent the people that you love and, you know, kind of put your best foot forward. Those sorts of things are very important to me. But I think also just specifically to the work, I really love what I do. And I'm um, a sort of infinitely curious person. Um, And I really love the research. And I always uh, wonder, I think, after every little thing that I do, if I could do that better. I think that's really important to me is that I, I like to consider myself a very social person and I love dialogue and conversations like this. And I think of my work as a kind of conversation proxy for me, a way to kind of get my point across. And I think uh, I have a lot to say, <laughs> I guess. So, uh, you know, it's always something, right? You know, so okay. I always find a reason to come back. And I, and I don't think it's ever, ever hurts that I just really, and I know this sounds maybe sort of tropic, but I, I really genuinely love what I do. And I'm always finding something else in the process that makes me inspired and want to do it again. You were such a great professor in that way where you're constantly helping us explore that curiosity. And um, that's a really hard thing to do, I feel like, is keeping up with being curious. And the drive and the push can be kind of exhausting at times. Honestly, though, you know, you've touched on it a couple of times. I do think teaching helps. The conversations in the classroom are crucial. And I think I wouldn't want to be a teacher if I didn't have that sense of curiosity. But I definitely think the conversations, again, going back to that dialogue, or again, it comes back to that wanting to make sure you're doing your best and representing your ideas correctly to your students. You asked really great questions, which made it really uh, that much more fun, I think, to, to just remain engaged with the process. Now I'm going to switch to questions that are more fun motivated, if you will. So what is the first thing you do in the morning? Coffee. And then uh, 
I, in one way or another, I'm a list maker and whether that's a mental list or just like a physical list, but I'm always kind of trying to organize, you know, my day. But I think a big, big part of my uh, morning routine is to read. I think it's really important uh, to kind of like stay in tune with the world at like some level, because like you said, I think with work schedules and everything else, you can develop a real, you know, kind of myopia and live in your head. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my like trifecta. I like that. And now, speaking of the um, threes, what are your well, yeah. <laughs> desert island studio needs? Okay, so I saw this question, and this is the one that gave me the actual, like, most panic. I mean, you really? do recognize, right, that I'm a printmaker, and, like, my <laughs> whole world is, like, tools and toys and equipment. So it was really, really hard to carve this down. It was truly a desert island situation, either an infinite supplier paper paper, or the ability to make my own paper, uh, something to mark with, right? And something to uh, remove marks with. If I could have those three things in, in, in unlimited supply, I think I could probably cobble together a satisfactory <laughs> kind of go at it. But that you both um, select materials that are so vague, something yeah. to erase with, very vague, but an endless supply of that vague thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to be busy, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe out of those, um, what's your favorite tool? I, I mean, I think that I would probably be kicked out of the printmakers club if I didn't say a press, right, of some sort or other. I think more generally though, I really love simple machines. Um, you know, I grew up in a kind of like agricultural area where they celebrated like archaic machinery. And, you know, it was like a lot of things that are like, they're so fascinating to watch because they're just a system of like levers and pulleys and weights and, you know, yeah. So I just really like those kind of things that you can see the mechanics of what they're doing and how they're going to do it um, in a very like open and kind of clear way, but you're still sort of captivated by how they're doing it, right? You know, I think right. like, there's no mystery to a printing press. I'm going to run this thing through this other thing that's very heavy and it's going to make an impression. Next question. What are, are or is your silver lining during this time? I think this moment, when you like step back from it and take saw stock has been all about change and essentializing um, for me. And I think that this moment has really forced both of those ideas and made me take action on things that it may have put off for much longer. And it's given me a chance to really watch my family change and grow. And I think that's been exciting. But I think really, again, just thinking about it, you know, it's, I love the, the concept, I think, of essentializing, paring things down to their most kind of elemental form, where they're the really hard to misinterpret or misunderstand. And this moment, you know, I, you know, you develop a very like, um, kind of organic thinking about your work and your artistic process. Um, that sometimes it's good to be forced to think actually a lot of this could be carved away and I could still have something I'm really satisfied with and really proud of. Um, it's been great. You know, I mean, I think that part of it's been great. I mean, it's been hard to like read and watch the news and know how many are suffering, but I do also see these like glimmers, hopefully, 
of real actual change. And I think that that's really encouraging and something that may, you know, as a person who's thinking about two little people living in the future, that could be a really positive thing uh, if, if we all do this right, if we take advantage right. of this moment and really do what's right. I like the connection that you draw with essentializing and relating that to what you mentioned with Micheline Thomas and your work, how she pulls in all this stuff, yet you really pare down. It just proves how much your work is a part of your existence and your process and your thinking about what you're making is also how you live your life. So now really brief, quick, snappy questions. This or that. So first one, old or new? New. Half full or half empty? Half empty, yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Morning or night? Morning. Fast or slow? Fast, maybe. Fast, okay. And last one, the big one, salty or sweet? Woof! (laughs) Ah, salty. Salty? Totally salty. Do you have like a salty snack? I really like Gibbles chips. They're horrible for you. They're made terribly. They're like, it's like this, uh, it's horrible. And I'm, I'm going to apologize to animal lovers everywhere, but they're still fried in like actual lard and, and then just drowned in salt. Yeah, they're delicious. So that's my go-to right there. Gibbles chips, everybody. So lastly, I would just like you to do your best plug. I think like most artists, uh, a website, uh, Aaron Foster at squarespace.com. I am also on Instagram an awful lot, uh, at FOSTA, F-O-S-T-A, 1918. I will mention that right now, I think as imperfect as I may be, I try to be or am trying to be a good ally and take this time to kind of learn as much as I can about the BIPOC community and BLM. And I'm doing a lot of reading and researching and a lot of what I'm posting right now is focused on that. But I am, you know, still working and doing a lot. I have lots of irons and fires, as you say, and I think those updates will be forthcoming when I think it's more appropriate to sort of shift focus back to my work or what I'm up to. Uh, I was, you know, privileged to be in a two-person show at Zygote Press in Cleveland. Um, Documentation of that exhibition is still up on Zygote's YouTube channel, so you can check that out there. Um, It was a a show called Genius Loshi, and it was myself and an artist from Pittsburgh named Tressa Jones. Perfect. And we'll have all those links in our show notes, too. Well, you're an absolute rock star. Thank you so much for catching up with me and sharing your time. Thank you, Aaron. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. It was real honor. Excellent. That was so interesting to hear from Caitlin and and one of our local artists again. Um, Love. We will certainly put the artist's work in the show notes so you can check it out a little bit more closely. And if you're interested in reaching out to us about something you heard today or something you'd like to hear in the future, please do. The podcast phone number is 330-790-1622. And the email address is podcast at akronartmuseum.org. Thank you for listening to the Relief Podcast from the Akron Art Museum. Comfort and joy for these uncertain times. Relief Podcast is a production of the Akron Art Museum. Today, you heard from staff members Gina Thomas-McGee, Seema Rao, Reggie Lynch, and Caitlin Evans, along with artist Aaron Foster. Special thank you to Jordan King, who wrote and performed all the podcast theme music. Until next time, take care and live creative.